I've seen that. The um, <clears throat> I won't put them out there, but <laughs> so a, a buddy of mine that came to me he was just like, yo, like, and it, it wasn't always this way, right? And he was just like, yo, they approached me with like this new deal structure or whatever. And he was just like, it's them actually taking like 50% of the writer's share. And I guess, I don't know what happened to the, the publisher's side, um so what is no, what is that about who you're talking about <laughs> um yo what's good this is clint your host on the music is my business podcast the podcast where you can gain insight and learn proven strategies to build and monetize your music career if you want your questions answered live join me on youtube at clint music on wednesdays at 12 p.m eastern time and let's chop it up now let's dig into this week's episode how's it going Good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Made it made it to hump day. So, uh, yeah, I'm good. I had my coffee. It didn't spill out um, in, into the onto the counter this morning. So I'm I'm good. How's your week going? Progress. I'm good. I'm on vacation starting today. So nice. y'all got me on vacay mode. Oh, nice, nice. That's what's up. Need a <laughs> need a break sometimes, right? Yes, my sister is getting married on Friday, so I'm headed back to California for the wedding and to just disconnect. I'm, I'm all for it. I'm excited, though. Dope, dope. That's dope stuff. Well, thank you for joining. Um, so it was, it was kind of funny. So let me let me update everybody on kind of how this happened. So last week I went live, I was on IG live, I was on YouTube live, I was doing both. And um, so I'm answering questions, going back and forth. And then I see you come in on IG, but then I kind of went and focused on YouTube. And then I turned back on IG and like Morgan's knocking out questions left and right. And then I, I get on IG and then I'm scrolling. Then I get back on YouTube. She's on YouTube knocking out questions. So I was just like, yo, we got to We got to get her on. Um, for those of you who don't know who Morgan McKnight is, she is. Uh, the executive director at uh, the Production Music Association. Um, so I guess introduce yourself, tell tell the people a little bit about yourself, what you do, and um, about uh, PMA and what, what they do. There. Yeah, sure. First, before I go, am I coming through clear? Like it's freezing on my end for my video. Is that just me? Um, I'm ignoring it, is, it or like delayed? It is freezing a little bit on your end. Hmm. Like I can hear your your voice isn't freezing, but your video is freezing sometimes. Yeah. Anyways, okay. Well, I will talk, and maybe I can try to figure out um, the video situation. Okay. Um. Yeah. So uh, my name is Morgan McKnight. I I work with the Production Music Association. I'm the executive director. Um. I've been there for five and a half years now. We are a nonprofit. Uh, based membership or a nonprofit membership based association that is very specific and focused in on the uh, production music, library music space, very specifically. Um, we work with composers and publisher members on a, a wide variety of things from um, uh, world's collections to legislative battles that we may have. Um, for our space specifically. Um, we connect composers with libraries, composers with composers, libraries with libraries. When we look at, you know, some publishing deals and arrangements, 
um, a variety of stuff. Uh, we we're really here to, to serve the interests and best represent um, the production music space as necessary. Um, and it's a lot of fun. It's a great space. A great space full of opportunity. Yeah, that's super dope because <clears throat> it's funny. So I knew about... I knew about PMA. I knew about, you know, libraries that were associated with PMA, but it, it wasn't until I think I, I was like in a um, a clubhouse room and you were on the panel and um, I didn't even know that like, comp I mean, it makes sense looking back, but I didn't even know composers could like sign up with uh, or, you know, become a member of PMA. I thought it was like only for music libraries. Um, so that's pretty cool. Um, yeah, we just that's like fairly new. Okay. Um, we started the PMA started like 25 or so years ago, and it was very specifically a publisher member or a publisher association. Um, it was formed because some of the broadcasters there was issues with royalty collection on, on commercials and adverts and promos on, on broadcasters, so the publishers came together and um, said, Hey, you're not paying us for our music and uh, they kind of, you know, power in numbers, strength in numbers, they, they said their piece, they, they went on um, to, to fight back against the broadcasters. Uh, one, obviously that's why we receive royalties uh, for promos and adverts on broadcast TV now. Um, but that conversation shifted about, you know, three, four years ago or, or so as the, the space shifted to digital or continues to shift to digital. Um, the problems are much larger. Um, the the misinformation is much larger. Um, so it, it became one of those, you know, the publishers don't exist without the music and without the composers. So we have to be collaborative and, and a collective group that represents, you know, all of everybody's best interests, not just publishers, but composers as well. So uh, the, compumber, the, 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 the composer <laughs> membership tier is new, newish for us. I would say about three, four years old, but okay. um, it's, it's, it's been great, steady growing. Um, and the community itself is, is just really, really special. Yeah, yeah, I, I attended one of the um, one of the the lunch lunch meetings on Zoom that we had uh, a few weeks ago. It was pretty cool. Like we had the the breakout groups and just being able to be connected to like minded people um, in the licensing space is really cool and just get to talk to others who who are doing um, you know doing the same thing. So it's, it's super dope. Um, yes, <clears throat> speaking about the whole digital and streaming thing, like. Do you think we'll get to a place where like because, you know, Netflix, Hulu, like the royalties that we see from those services are so, so small. Like, do you see that changing in the future or, you know, is it going to be a process kind of like it was, you know, when when cable TV and everything kind of came out or what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, yeah. I think that, you know, patience is truly a virtue um, in anything music related, the music industry itself. It, patience is truly a virtue. Um, I, you know, to put it into perspective, when Netflix first started uh, getting music or, or attempting to get music, they were very actively asking and, and aggressively asking for direct license across the board. So there was pushback on that that then, uh, force their hands a little bit to start doing Q sheets and paying royalties and things like that. So 
you know, and that took some time. That, you know, they, they were adamant about direct licensing. I think like a lot of or other, there are other networks that, that rely on direct licensing, which try to direct license. And Netflix was adamant about that until the pushback happened and people, you know, said no, really. People said no. Right. In um, saying no, they were like, okay, let's, you know, revisit this and adopt um, the Q sheet model. They did that. So to, again, for perspective, do I think that we will see increased royalties um, or better payouts or more fair rates or, or some of these things? Um, I think maybe. I, I, I think that there's a chance. I think that, you know, there are a lot of people fighting for that. Um, we you know, one of the things that we're looking at right now is this CPA, is the commercials, promos, and adverts on the streaming, uh, the streaming apps, so like the Peacocks and Netflix, because they're not paying royalties on those right now. Um, so how do we get royalties for commercials and promos and adverts um, on the streaming services? So it's, you know, I, I do think that there will be changes. I do think that the pendulum will, will swing in a a direction that um, where royalties are are more impactful or where they have more of an impact and the, the better, right? The rates are better. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, you know, is that going to be within the next year? I don't know. Uh, two years? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it, it was really slow. Like we're talking about, you know, legislative. Like even ASCAP and BMI are regulated by our government, right? So like we're talking about government at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, and it moves slow. Yeah. So do I think that it will always, I mean, I, I personally find it hard to believe that if we're looking at, you know, the PROs, right, ASCAP and BMI specifically, um, that again, you know, rely on, on royalties and performance royalties, that's their entire business model. So if royalties and all of that diminish, then their business diminishes too. So do we think that ASCAP and BMI being the power players that they are, are just going to kind of like sit by and let that happen? Yeah. Maybe. But it doesn't sound, you know, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not convinced that that will be the case in the long run. It's going to take some time. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah. So I see some questions coming through. We got one from Broadway Blake. Uh, so he says, here's my question. I'm in the very early stages of managing a producer. I've heard you mention that music libraries take the publisher portion and the producer takes the writer portion of placements. Uh, there's a second part. If that is the case, how does the management company get compensated for placements they help secure through a music library? So I guess if he's a manager, he's securing the placements, but I guess he has the deal in place with the music library. Where does the manager get their cut? If the library's taking publisher share and the writer's taking writer share. So the library will only, the standard library deal is only taking 50% of your publishing. Um, to answer the, the where is your management fee going to come from, that's dependent on your relationship with the artist. Um, and it's going to depend on the contract that you have with your artist. So if you're under a 10%, you know, commission or, or whatever, 10%, um, 10% of royalties, I mean, that, that really goes into, that that is settled to my knowledge, a- after the fact, like outside of, of the composer and the uh, publisher relationship. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, yeah, I mean, it's like a standard 50 50 
publishing split. So the, you know, you would retain 50% of your publishing, 50-50 sync split. Um, and then 100% writers there you would retain. So that's going to be dependent on your agreement with the artist. If, if they pay 10% on royalties, I mean, whatever that contract says, you guys should have that contract in place um, between y'all. But it, it, it wouldn't, you you would get the money from the publisher and then you guys would have to decide how that's split up between the, the team, I guess. Yeah. Yep. That's, uh, that's how I've seen it done. Like usually managers, especially like on the upfront sync fee, if it was like, if they had an agreement for like 10%, then they would just give them 10% once that sync fee cleared. Um, I've seen some people do it. Um, I guess it's just dependent. Like you said, it depends on the agreement. Some people do the, you know, they'll do like 10% and write themselves in as like a writer um, to get royalties. I, I don't know. But yeah, I guess it depends on how you guys structure it, what you guys agree on um, to make it make sense. Shout out to We Create Music TV. What's up, bro? Uh, shout out to everybody coming in. As you guys are coming in, let me know where you're from um, and what you guys do. And hit us up with the questions. It's a live q and I have Morgan McKnight with me from PMA, which is the Production Music Association. And we're just answering some questions on licensing. Uh, shout out to Jar Charles Jefferson. What's up, bro? uh let's see we got another question good afternoon clinton morgan my question is can you own your publishing but still have placements where they take the publishing royalties if you agree to relinquish it for the placement um sure yes i, I imagine that they're uh, do non-exclusive libraries do you keep your, your publishing when you sign with non-exclusive libraries I think you do. Yeah, like you, yeah, yeah. I mean, because you can go, well, so you, like for for the non-exclusive libraries, um, can you own your publishing still a place where they take the publishing world? So they like retitle it a lot of times. So they'll put like the prefix or something like in the beginning and then they'll collect off of that placement that's connected to that title. And then if you're with another non-exclusive library, they'll kind of do the same thing and then they'll just collect based on the title. As far as royalties are concerned yeah I, I generally with exclusive libraries you have to they they own your publishing uh, they own the well they own your master and they own the copyright so and then they're they just are entitled to 50 percent of the publishing um you can i mean i'm sure there are our libraries and or others that operate under you being able to, to retain your publishing and then you know the split on the back end like i'm sure that exists somewhere mm -hmm. um it's not standard i wouldn't say that it's standard but it I, I mean this is an industry that there are multiple ways to achieve the same thing so yeah. i won't sit here and say that it's not possible but i will say it's not standard yeah I've uh, like when I started, I started a few years back, there was still like some non-exclusive libraries hanging around. And then a lot of them were shifting towards exclusive, um, but they like some of them weren't uh, weren't like trying to own the masters right away. Like you could still kind of. Well, uh, no, I take that back. Um, it was it, it was like a mixture like some was just like yo like we want to outright just own the copyright in perpetuity and then others had like a term to it um but now it seems like 
you know, from a lot of our libraries I'm talking to now, like a lot of them just, it's just in perpetuity because it just, I don't know, it makes it easier for them. Um, and, you know, it's just forever. And then you can't send that song to anybody else. It's, it's yeah. exclusive. Hey, uh, Clint, I'm, can I, I'm going to try a different browser. Can I okay. hang up? I'm right back in. I'm, this is killing me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No problem. <laughs> Give me one second. Keep talking. Okay, indeed. What's up, Remy Tones? Producer from Jersey. Thanks for coming through, man. No problem, Broadway. Glad we can help. Herbie Brown, welcome back from Landover, Maryland. That's what's up. Got Stone Cage in the building. Greetings, Denver producer, engineer. Good to see you. Samantha's back. Singer-songwriter from Memphis, Tennessee. I heard y'all have good barbecue in Memphis. Just saying. No problem, Jefferson. Uh, yeah, man. Okay, she's calling back. Let's see. Okay. Maybe a little better. It is. Okay. Yeah. We'll go with smooth. this. <laughs> okay. Guess it was the browser. Oh. Technology. You gotta love it. What's up, Midwest Nate from Michigan? Good to see you, producer. Thanks for letting me crash your Q&A, by the way. No doubt, man. That's, that's <laughs> I definitely what... crashed it last time, and there was somebody in the audience, too, that I, like, responded to, and whoever it was was like, thanks, but I wanted Clint to answer. And oh, did like, they? Oh, my, my goodness. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. No, but you know what? Because some, sometimes, like, I'll have people come in, and, like, you know, they, they don't really, like, uh, so, they probably didn't know who you were, but... That's some people, okay. some people, <laughs> some people would come in and like have no, no credentials whatsoever. And then they're just answering everybody's questions and they're like, yo, like who, who are you? But, um, no, nah, no, nah, I appreciate you uh, tackling some of those questions cause I was missing some of them. So it's good to have somebody in there that, that knows their stuff and, and is passing good information. What's up, Immaculate? We got boy wonder back in from Fayetteville, North Carolina. Uh, so yeah, we have we have Morgan McKnight here from the Production Music Association. So if you guys have any questions about licensing music libraries, how all of that work, um, we're here, man. We're just answering questions. We'll be here uh, for the hour. Shout out to Vibes in the City, um, and let me know where you guys are from and what you do, and we'll try and help you. That's what we're here for. Good afternoon, everyone. Shout out to Clint and Morgan for the info. Shout out to We Create Music. Been checking out their content recently as well. Yeah, Re We Create Music, man, is uh, super good people, man. My guy B over there, a lot of dope information and interviews on the music business and stories from people who are doing different things in the business. So uh, you guys should definitely follow that YouTube channel as well. Um, there's a lot of dope things on the way from them. Um, so yeah so how did you like how did you get in the whole music licensing space like is it was it something you always worked in and then the opportunity with pma came up like how how did you kind of get started in this space um yeah no i no i didn't know what production music was until i started mm. um i have a, a dominant predominantly marketing 
background, marketing communications background with, you know, a bit of an emphasis in like event planning. Okay. So when I, and then I had went to, to school at, at Cal State Northridge um, to get my master's in music industry administration. Dope. So like through that process and we had a publishing course. So I was introduced to publishing quite literally in that class. Um, and the opportunity at the PMA kind of went up and, and, and was, you know, made a job or whatever. And my, that publishing professor at the time, um, I connected with him and then he, we, we kind of connected with the, the board who was the board of the PMA at that time. And then I interviewed and the rest is history. Um, but yeah, no, I didn't know what, what production music was. I didn't know about anything licensing outside of like the general education from the, the, the courses that I was in. Mm -hmm. And it all just kind of fell into place um the way the universe kind of does things yeah. um they were looking we have a conference so anyone that you know doesn't know we have a, an annual uh, normally an annual conference it's called the production music conference that happens in the fall um and they needed somebody to help plan that event so when they were looking for this full-time role with the pma the um you know they they I had event planning experience. I think that that took like precedent over my <laughs> industry knowledge. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think they said, you know, you can learn everything else. So <clears throat> you know, one thing led to another and um, we, yeah, here I am five and a half years later. Yeah, that's dope. Like, I mean, just being skilled in something else and then allowing that kind of lead into another opportunity that you know you probably didn't even plan for it to begin with that's that's pretty cool yeah um i wish i had classes like that in college honestly i'm kind of jealous because like i went to the ohio state university great university but as far as you know what i was focused on what i was trying to learn there weren't many classes like as far as music business and publishing and things like that are concerned um not up until i think they started adding classes like that once i was about to graduate um but literally it was only like you know like music performance classes i took a history of jazz class and like random stuff like that but um that's pretty cool that you you were able to to get some classes on that that's dope it was very random <laughs> it was very when i tell you it was random this my, i mean the journey of me even going to to get my master's is uh, super interesting just because I was looking at law school like I was looking at other I was looking at continued continued education um, and just stumbled upon the program at wow. CSAC and it was like very like I think it applications had already closed but I emailed anyways and asked if there was room or they would still accept applications um long story short i applied interviewed because when you go get your continued education masters you have to do like interviews with the department heads and stuff so i had interviewed with the the lead of the program and um he it was like the day before classes started so it all happened very fast um and very random i, I kind of applied and then a month later i was interviewing and then the next day classes started so they had already had orientation and everybody else had met each other except for me right. <laughs> um, i didn't have any books i mean it just all kind of i mean it speaks to this is really important for for everybody here it really speaks to being aware of your opportunities and being super present all the time um because we can't always explain things 
I can't always explain things as to how they, they've worked out the way that they've done. All I know is that opportunity has been there and I've been ready for a set opportunity and taking advantage of set opportunity. So, you know, keeping staying super present while also keeping, you know, your eyes and ears and heart and soul and all of that open to, to opportunities from the universe or from whomever um, is really important, especially in, I mean, in everything, in my opinion, in life, but especially if you're looking at like sync and placements and licensing, like some of these times, I mean, you never know, you never know where yep. it's going to come. So um, eyes and ears and, and hearts and souls and all of that open all the time. And it, one thing will lead to another. And if you, you know, think on it and, and manifest it and pray on it and all of these things, it, it really does happen, yep. you know, maybe not tomorrow, but it, it happens. So that, that constant consistency of being present while also, you know, uh, projecting what you want out of life into the world is really important yeah that's a fact i definitely agree with that um and just staying ready like i was listening to a podcast with uh a couple buddies of mine gabe and um <clears throat> and sound oracle and pretty much sound oracle was just talking about how you know he was just on this journey to to become a, a producer and things like that and like the opportunity came to do sound design for you know some of the biggest producers we know and um that's not what his original intent was they was just like yo can you put some sounds together for me he's like uh, yeah. okay and um and that grew into something you know huge for him and it, it helped propel his career and i think it's just it's, it's just so dope because you know you you have to have that like you said that focus and that consistency on what you want and and at least be in the motion of trying to make that happen but at the same time be flexible enough to kind of pivot and shift um when certain opportunities come and and make the most of them um so you mentioned you mentioned law schools like how did you go from like were you trying to be a, a lawyer an attorney like what what happened uh, that made you shift? yeah no no I, there's no shift i'm a timing you know the timing situation is 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 what it was um okay. i yeah, no, I think that's still something I will probably do okay. at some point in my life. I don't know when, I don't know how soon, I don't know, you know, I'm literally staring at my LSAT book that's sitting in my bookcase. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah, I wanted to do entertainment law. Um, I thought that that was, you know, what I wanted to do. Obviously, when you ever you talk to lawyers, they tell you not to. Um, <laughs> I say run, <laughs> run in the other direction, but you know for me and like what i you know the impact that i truly would love to have on on the industry and especially specifically for for sync and licensing and, and composers and music for media i mean there's there's legislation and, and other things involved with that mm -hmm. um so yeah it's still on the table it just took a back seat i, I mean i was essentially in a, a, a job that i was ready to to leave and so i was kind of looking for a next step and like i said I was looking for law school like in the LA area and came across, the, literally by chance, came across the uh, music industry administration program at, at Cal State Northridge. So um, it was by chance, truly. Okay, well, hey, let me know <laughs> if you become an attorney because I'll need your contact info. Hey, <laughs> I, I got all of you, I promise. <laughs> Appreciate it. Uh, so we got Boy Wonder. He says, how has COVID impacted PMA events? Yeah, 
Yes, it has. How has it? Oh. Yeah. Um, how? Okay, so obviously we didn't do our conference. We normally, so our conference, again, it's it's usually like 700 to 800 people um, that come in from all over the world. So it's not just US-based, it's not just domestic, it's also international. Um, we have international composer members and international library members. Um, we didn't do our conference last year, we couldn't. Um, but what we've done in its place is we birthed what we call the PMA Academy. And our, our PMA Academy sessions are on Zoom like the rest of the world, but uh, uh, anything from, you know, PM, like from COVID trends to anything. We, we have uh, monthly, sorry, monthly webinars um, that we do with different guests. And then on top of that, we also added um, what we call like coffee hours and happy hours that are specific for our membership. This is what Clint was talking about uh, earlier, that, that we break off into breakout groups and, and kind of just mix and mingle virtually. So, um, you know, it, it impacted because we weren't able to, to gather uh, physically like we were able to in the previous years. And we also do, you know, quarterly events. Normally we do an event in L.A. in February, normally an event in May in New York and then an event in August in Nashville that we had to, again, stop for the time being yep. so um the cool part about that is though that that all of these things will coexist as we open up and as the world opens up uh i wouldn't say post-covid because i don't know that that will ever be a time but as it's safe together uh we will have in-person events and then our monthly you know virtual events as well to just keep all of the touch points there for our membership yeah and our community our the community in general not just our membership yeah covid COVID is, has been crazy. <laughs> like it stopped everything. Like I had, I had a tour planned um, last year and that stopped. And I feel like literally everybody that had a live event plan, like started using Zoom and <laughs> it just, Zoom was, was the savior um, with, with live events and, you know, just kind of pivoting around that. Um, I think your vi your video started doing weird things again. Again? <clears throat> yeah, but your audio is coming through like flawless. I I don't know, but it'll it sound good on the podcast at least. <laughs> I don't know. Is Sorry. it skipping? Is it skipping for you guys or is it just us on our end seeing it? Yeah, please let us know in the comments if my video is stupid. <clears throat> Would it be better to join on my phone, maybe? I, I don't know. I don't know. Sorry, guys. I know I look crazy. It's technology. I was, uh, I used to work in IT, so literally, like, nothing surprises me anymore. But, hey, me either. <laughs> See it all. Shout out to Vibes in the City, eyes, ears, hearts, and souls. Yes, indeed. Video is skipping. Sorry, guys. Okay, it's skipping. Yeah, they said audio is good. I don't know. Okay. How to is there, like, an Ecamm app? that I should download? Um, no, there's no app. Like usually it's just, it's just browser based. Like I have an app, but I think you have to like, like have an account and all that stuff just to. I got it. Yeah. Okay. I could try to restart my computer fast. I don't know how serious it is for people. Am I Wi-Fi or hardwired? I'm hardwired guys. That's what I did first. <laughs> yeah. Ethernet in. That's crazy. Um, so, so now that we started talking about it, her video starts working right. It's crazy. I know. <clears throat> Maybe I should close the millions of tabs or millions of things I have open. Do you have a lot help? of tabs? 
Always. <laughs> <laughs> Multitasking. That may, that may be why. Um, I'll try to close some stuff. <clears throat> Bear with me, guys. Possibly. It's not skipping now. Okay. Well, yeah. Sorry, guys. We'll make it work. Yep. We're always looking and searching for helpful info to provide artists in our community. Here it ends. There's over 200 shows that showcase a thousand plus artists. That's dope. <clears throat> yeah, it's so much. It's so much talent out here, man. Like I think a lot of a lot of artists and producers are just trying to figure out ways to monetize it. And that's why that's why I love licensing and, and production music so much because it gives um, it gives people the opportunity to do that. Like no matter where you are, like you don't have to have a bunch of credits and major placements and Grammys and things like that. You know, you just have to make quality music and um and be a, a cool person to work with um and that you know it can it can work for you uh let's see so yeah as you guys are coming in let me know where you're from we have morgan from pma which is the production music association we're talking about music licensing um so drop your questions in it's a live q a <clears throat> um Uplifted Productions. I came in late. Did she say she worked for CSAC previously? I don't think you did. Hey, mm -mm. No, no CSAC, but I do love CSAC and the team over there dearly. So. I do too. Team CSAC. <laughs> we work with them. They're partners of ours, um, along with BMI and ASCAP, uh, of course, but they are partners of ours. But no, I did not work at CSAC. We hold events there. They have a really great Nashville space. Their office is really cool in Nashville. So we do hold events at their office in, in at times pre-COVID. Right. I want to, uh, I have to visit their Nashville office. I heard it's pretty dope. They used to have one here in Atlanta um, and it was real cool, like super laid back. You can go in, they had like a little, like a small studio where you can go kind of get ideas out. Um, you, it was easy and accessible. Like you can go talk to a rep and get some things squared away. Um, I love that. And then they shut that joint down. <laughs> I don't know why, but um, yeah. So I think, excuse me, I think Nashville, LA, and maybe a, I think an office in the UK. And I think that's in New York. They have one in New York, but yeah. Yeah. Good people. <clears throat> What are what libraries do you work with, Clint? Um, yeah, so I do. I have a deal with uh, BMG Production Music. Um, been doing actually just finished up a, a project uh, with them not too long ago. So hopefully that comes out soon. Um, shoot, Lab Hits. Um, just did a deal with Pink Shark Music. Um, what are some of the other ones? Um, uh, Smash Coast music. Shout out to Smash Coast, um, and a, a bunch of other like random ones that I signed with a long time ago. That you know oh. I kind of pitched to like occasionally here and there. Uh, so yeah, so those are some of the few that I work with. Cool. Yeah. Very cool. There's so many. Yeah. So many there is. <laughs> So many libraries. I should say that if anybody is is that's in the audience is you know confused or doesn't know libraries or wants to know like where to look for for libraries, 
Um, we obviously can help with that. So we we have like a prefix list on our website as well that uh, has all distributors and prefix information. But all of this to say, there's a bunch of distributors listed, um, at, you know, on our website during our, at our prefix list. But I'm also happy to share. Um, who our publisher members are for anybody here, you know, through email, if, if anyone has any any questions or, or just wants to know, you know, maybe some libraries to start looking at. I know there's a million out there and, and sometimes they're, uh, some are better than others. Mm -hmm. So, um, and sometimes it's hard to, to narrow down kind of who is a good library and who isn't a good library. So if anybody, um, has questions on on libraries or, or anything that obviously we're, we're certainly here to help yeah absolutely because like i noticed when i first got in the game like there were a lot of new libraries that'll pop up and then they'll go sign like a bunch of people who already have credits and then they like post all those credits on the website but then they're not actually like actively getting placements for the for the artists and composers and things like that. So there's a lot of those out there. Yeah. So what you guys should look for in libraries is who their clients are. Um, not who, not what music they have. Not none of that is important, and it doesn't matter at all. What matters is what who their clients are. Um, most people, nah, is it out there publicly? I mean, ask. I would always ask before you, you sign your music over, who, what clients do you work with? Um, those are questions you are allowed to ask, ask them. Um, and you know, the, the more networks that they work with, obviously the better. Um, again, I'm obviously certain or happy to help answer those questions too, because generally we know who's working with who. So it's, yeah, it's tough. There, there's a lot of libraries and new libraries that pop up that don't have the relationships with the client yet and they're trying to get to that point they're trying to build their library up to be able to give it to a client for a client to use and it just doesn't necessarily always work out uh well for them they they don't get the deal with the network they don't you know so they have all this music and they're holding all this music exclusively with no clients to to pitch it to so it's it's important that you guys ask who the clients what clients they work with um before you sign over anything exclusively yeah that's a fact so let me ask you like so we have libraries that are that are associated with pma so like what's the difference between a library who is associated with pma versus one who isn't like what are some things that kind of mm -hmm. make them stand out um at when you know when pr producers and artists are looking for, yeah. for music libraries so the I would say that the libraries that we that are members of ours um, abide by like a certain standard. They're you know in general they don't take writer share. Um, they they do very standard 50-50 split deals. Like those are our we have core values and a set of standards that our publisher members have to abide by um, in order to be a member. So. You know, it, again, things like not taking writer share, things like whatever. That's a big one. So I'm just gonna hold on to that so, one. Um, so that that I've seen that the um, <clears throat> I won't put them out there. But <laughs> so a, a buddy of mine came to me. He was just like, "Yo, like," and it it wasn't always this way, right? And he was just like, "Yo, they approached me." with like this new deal structure or whatever and he was just like it's them actually taking 
like 50% of the writer share. And I guess, I don't know what happened to the, the publisher's side. Um, so what is, no, what is that about? who you're talking about. <laughs> um, what do you mean, what is it about? I mean, help it make, I, I, make I, it make sense. Make it make sense. Cause okay. anybody yeah. asking for your writer share it, it, I, it, to me. And again, all of you are free to, to make your own decisions. If you feel like it's a good place for your music, I'm not here to stop you. But if they're asking for your writer share, um, generally they're trying to make up costs or make, or make revenue where they are not making revenue. Um, that that flip and I, I'm 90% sure I know who you're talking about <laughs> um, th there was conversation around well everybody is doing it everybody is this is the this is how it's gonna go moving forward people are gonna start taking writer share because of diminishing royalties and this and that um, a that's not true mm -hmm. uh, B it's predatory it's it's very dangerous to go down that route of all right, I'm going to just sign over 50% of my writers because what they're essentially doing then is taking your, they're taking money out of your retirement and your pension um, because they, they, they need to make money uh, somewhere. Yeah. Oftentimes they do this to help the value or help like valuation if they want to sell their library or be acquired by somebody. Sometimes they, they readjust these deals to then appeal to like the tech people or the investors, right? Like the investors that don't understand the music space. Um, and they want to increase their valuation. Mm -hmm. So they start to kind of cut in. But anytime that you are giving away your writer share, you're giving away your retirement, you're giving away your pension, you're giving away money that is rightfully yours. Um, Taking writing credit for something you didn't write sounds crazy. I know it happens a lot. Yeah, there are libraries that 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 listen. There, there's also like libraries that are majors, major, major. I will say one um, that you know the way it operates a little bit is is some writers like on salary, and then there is a bit of like pseudonym kind of ghostwrite stuff that happens, and you have to allocate a percentage of your writer share to that ghostwriter that may or may not have contributed to the track like that's still right. a thing in production music too yeah um in general it's it, it it's not the way to go um people taking your writer share it's it's you can you give up your retirement you're talking about your royalties that are for you for your family like it's still copyright you know what i mean like right. you're still entitled to this copyright plus 70 years right like there yep. there's you are still entitled to that your family your <coughs> any of your future like that is still yours and the moment you start giving that away um you start to diminish your your royalty checks down the long you know down the line so yeah. um that 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 model or that that switch from that business what i imagine happened is they were trying to make up costs somewhere yeah. um it is expensive to to run a, a library and to manage a library and to you know uh have things like like use source audio for example to to host your catalog like these things cost yeah, money and um you know if you don't have the client base or the client base is coming to you and saying, hey, we, we, we don't wanna pay you as much. You know, we only have this amount of, of money to give you this year instead of, 
you know, say that, say the client, say whoever the client is, a broadcaster comes to that library and, you know, says we, only, we can only offer you 50% of what we offered you in our last contract. Well, that library can either A, say, eh, I don't want you, yeah, you, you know, I don't want to work with you. No client, like, you know, take that and run with it. Is that going to be the case? Probably not. The, yeah. Some of the smaller libraries don't have that, you know, that, that, that strength behind them to be able to go back and say and renegotiate and say, mm -hmm. absolutely not. Are you crazy? Yeah. So what they do is say, okay, in order to keep the client, um, we got you like, well, well, that's fine. And we are going to uh, take that on the back end from our writers. Yeah. So that I think is the logic. Um, it, it's, it, it stems from the broadcasters really undercutting fees and licensing fees. Mm -hmm. um, and then the, the libraries are kind of, passing that on to, to the composers it's it's not it's not right uh, if you you know there, there should be some pushback and some negotiation power yeah uh, that your publisher has with the networks in order to protect its writers but alas it is business uh businessmen will and women will will make business decisions so um that's what i will say about that but yeah. uh it's you know i, I a lot of people walked away from that deal and I'm thankful that they did because it what we don't want to happen is we don't want it to set precedent. We don't want all these new libraries popping up to come uh, come into the space and say, well, it's it's normal for yeah. for people for us to take your writer's share because that's precedent. Like we don't want that to become precedent right. in the industry. So that's what we, you know, advocate against. Yeah, then you got then new composers coming in who don't who may not know and then they're just thinking it's normal and then it becomes normal and you know what i'm saying like but yeah when i like when i heard about it that's what it sounded like to me i was just like it sounds like they they got cut as far as what they're going to get either like on the publishing side or whatever and they're trying to recoup it from the writer side and i was just yeah. like that's that's your problem that's not my problem you know i i deliver the music that's a hundred percent um, yeah you, you gotta figure you gotta figure that out so um yeah it's kind of crazy so yeah I, I try to tell you know everybody that i work with like yo just a heads up because that's what they're trying to push um so just watch out so we got a uh got a couple questions board wonder says how can you verify if they actually worked with the clients if the libraries actually work with the clients a good question um i we're like hey call your clients on the phone and like no 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 no, no. <laughs> i mean listen the most that you, you may be able to do is ask who their yeah. clients are who they have contract with could they tell you the truth sure could they lie to you probably maybe yeah like that's that's um verification i mean i would look at uh social medias sometimes they a lot of of the, the established libraries will release like what you know release some of their new like their bigger placements and things like that so you can kind of get a feel for um who is using what i i don't know that verification is necessarily like 100 percent possible but i think it's just a question that you guys should get in the habit of asking um, before you sign over your stuff, right? Like, hey, can you just remind me who your clients are or who, what clients do you work with or what clients have you worked with in the last year? Like yeah. maybe give it a time frame. Um, verification is hard, but you know, I think just asking that at question least, is, is gonna be enough. Yeah, at least asking and making sure they're, <clears throat> you know, they're, yeah. they're working with who they, perceived to be working with uh let me see 
Midwest Nate said, in order to sign up for one of the pros, do I need established music or can I just sign up? Um, I know when I, like when I first signed up with BMI, I just signed up. I didn't have <clears throat> anything released or anything like that. Um, CSAC is a little different because I think even it's invite only and like even to get with them, like I think you have to have like, you know, a, a lawyer or manager or something reach out to them. Um, so in that case, you may have to kind of have, a, you know, a catalog established or some type of uh, you know, something established as an artist, a producer, or a songwriter. Um, and I will say too that CSAC just kind of dumped all of their commercial and advertising composers. Um, oh, so really? It, again, we're talking about this royalty, this royalty conversation. That's um, It's a tough conversation. So I think that they they. They did a little bit of cleaning house just because of like admin stuff and I think where they want to where they want to like focus their attention. Um, I don't know the specifics of that, so please don't quote me because I don't know all of the ins and outs, but I did hear that they, you know, whatever. Wow. <laughs> they let go of some of their 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 composer uh, members. Wow. But yeah, no, what Clint said is right for us to be in my, I don't know what you mean by establish, but generally, uh, no, you can just sign up. Cool, cool. As a writer, as a writer, if you have a publisher, obviously you need a publishing entity that you would sign up under. Cool. Uh, Broadway Blake says, when using royalty-free samples or loops, how do you fully protect your work Can't. if other are exactly <laughs> if other are <laughs> using the same loops? That's the thing with loops, like those royalty-free. Um, it's royalty-free loops. Yeah, that's you can't you can't don't use them don't use them you can't you won't you can't libraries won't work with you um god music supervisors won't work with you don't don't i mean <laughs> the, what i always say is if you really are obsessed with a sample or a loop and you find it and it's like everything you've ever wanted and you just love it so much and you have to use it you need to figure out how to recreate it um it's it, without sounding exactly the same don't use loops guys it creates a legal nightmare and a headache for you that you don't want it's not worth it it's not worth it it's not worth your legal fees it's not worth it's not worth it don't yeah. use them don't use them <clears throat> funny story i was talking to a friend of mine and he um <laughs> so some some composer it was crazy so he applied to join his library so the library sends him, um, or he may have already been with the library, but they send him a brief, right, of tracks that they're looking for. So one of the tracks was like this demo track that he produced um, for some, I don't know if it was like a software, a plugin or something, loop based or whatever, but he produced the demo track and they literally used the demo track and like submitted it to the library and he's just like, yo, this reference track you sent me, like, I made this and they shouldn't be using it this way. And it it stopped everything. Like they had to figure something out um, between the composer who used it and a headache. Like I, I always tell people, like, I don't use them. Guy, I just it creates a headache in licensing. I mean, it's yeah. And guys, I can't I cannot emphasize this enough. If you have to rely on on loops or, or samples <clears throat> to create your music, practice more, practice more your production skills, because 
if you have a loop, you know what I mean? If you have something as a reference that you just love as a producer, as anybody, composer, that should be enough for you to go off of to, to create something that sounds the same, but is your own. You have to be creative. Like the, in the space as it is with the saturation and how many people are in it as composers, like you have to be, you have to be creative. You have to stand out and you're not going to stand out using sample beats and sample anything sample because especially from else. splice yeah. like splice.com everybody's on splice.com yeah um yeah yeah <clears throat> so here's a good one are you entitled to the copyright for 70 years even if you don't register that copyright with copyright.gov I am not a lawyer and I do not want to act as a lawyer, <laughs> but, um, so a lot of libraries, well, the songs will get registered. Yes. In general, in general, you are entitled to copyright plus 70 years. I just don't want to get into ins and outs of, of how to do all of that because I'm not a copyright attorney and I don't want to act as one. Yeah. Um, but generally speaking, yes, you are entitled to the copyright and even, I mean, even in my, my, education there's all there's ways to prove copyright without registering it so like yes the answer is yes um generally if you're with a library they will register and copyright this they will own the copyright so they would register the songs for you um yes the answer is yes you are entitled to it but it's really important to have your paperwork and all of that together yeah <clears throat> Good questions. Uh, we got one from Boy Wonder. Do you need TV placements to sign oh. up with BMA? Not as a composer, no. Dope. No. <clears throat> I mean, it's we're, not from We're the... here to help you get your first one. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> I was just like, from the information that they share, like, if anything, they'll help you get that, that first placement. Yeah, we're here to help get your first placement. So, absolutely not. Dope, dope. Uh, Alavon says, would you recommend attempting to establish relationships with veteran attorneys and imprints on the game like Ivy Tomback and Berkshire Music, or is it a wash with lesser established libraries? Oh, Ivy. Ivy was one of, our, uh, one of my original board members. She Is she still in the space? I don't know if she's still in the space. Um, wow. it, it depends. It depends. Uh, it, it really is less about, so, okay, let me back up a little bit. Established libraries are going to be probably where you want to look first. Um, those that have been in the game for 10 years or so are, are where you want to probably look first. And I only say that because like we were talking about earlier, um, there are a ton of new libraries that are, are trying to be in the space or are in the space. Um, they may not have all of the clients that an established library has and what what they will be what they tend to do at first is build up their catalog so you could run into a situation where it is a newer library that um, is trying to build up the numbers to get more clients in which case your music would be sitting for a while or longer than it sits already um, in the space so, you know, established is, is always going to be probably the better way to go. But that's not to say that new libraries haven't haven't popped up and been successful. Um, again, it's really dependent on who their clients are. Yeah. 
Everyone's so sad about the samples. I know the loop. Sorry, guys. Because <laughs> yeah, it's just one of those. Because I mean, because I create I create loot packs, but it's just when you're in on the industry side. You know, it's a little different because you have, especially with major labels, you have attorneys that'll go through the headache of clearing a sample, like especially if it's like from a big record. But like, sync is just different. Like, because, like nobody's gonna go through that that headache to you know to clear samples and things like that. You just you don't you don't you don't want to be like that guy who's like difficult to work with because everything he has is a loop or a sample, and now you, like nobody will want to work with you. Um, so here's a good one because Ooh. people like to um, people like to spam and like drop 50 mp3s in an email like <laughs> what's a good way to approach a library if you're trying to establish a relationship from your perspective and you know just from the libraries that you work with and communicate with on a regular basis what do, what do you see all right, I'm going to do a little bit of a plug, and I mean this in the most respectfulest, non-salesy way ever. Um, join the PMA. Boom. Uh, join the Production Music Association. I, I, I mean, it's A, I, okay, so join the PMA. We'll start there. Um, but how to contact a library. Um, do your research. Do your research, uh, check out their social media, listen to what they're releasing, uh, what their new releases are. Um, look at their website. If, if you have music that you think fits in a certain library, you know, look through their catalog, listen to their catalog. Um, um, <laughs> what else? Okay, so listen to the catalog, uh, pay attention to their new releases. Um, you know, I will be very candid and say that if you are submitting through the general submission portals that most of these these libraries have on their websites, the chances of your stuff getting heard and or even them getting to it, even seeing it in the inbox full of a thousand other people a day um, that have, have submitted stuff to them, um, it's, it's very rare. So you want to do a bit more legwork. You want to find out who you should be submitting to. You want to try to find them, you know, uh, professionally and, and personally. A lot of these people speak at events. They, they hold panels. They, they all come to PMA events, for example. Join PMA. Um, <laughs> you know, and I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to be salesy in any way, shape or form, but when we're in such a saturated market, there are libraries that won't work with new composers unless they are PMA members just because of quality and standard, right? Like we're talking standards. So um, it, it makes my life a lot easier. I mean, I speak to a lot of composers that I put in touch with, with libraries and publishers all the time. Um, I'm happy to do it, but it makes it a million times easier when you're a PMA member and they're a PMA member. And it's like, hey, meet our newest PMA member. Yeah. I think they have stuff that works for your catalog. I can, you know, put in a word for you and, and that one thing leads to another. Um, but if you are, are dead set on, you know, cold emailing people, um, keep it short. Keep it really short for backup. Find the person you need to email. Try to get their email directly. Keep your email short as fuck. Keep it short. <laughs> Keep it really short. Super short. Um, and but but tailored, right? Tailored to the library. I say, hey, uh, just saw you guys put out this this new album of um, 
Country Trap. Let's go there. I uh, just saw your new Country Trap release. I have some really great Country Trap songs if you plan on doing a second volume or a third volume that may fit uh, in the next volume. Uh, here's a link. Always send links, don't send MP3s. And disco, I've, I said this oh, on the last time. I, I said this when I crashed last time. <laughs> um, disco is becoming and is the industry standard now. It's fire. So if you're not on disco, get disco. That's how people want to be pitched to. No more SoundCloud links. The disco links are always going to be the best. So, um, you know, it does take research. I don't know that there's a best way to, to reach libraries in a general statement. It, every library is different. Trailer libraries operate differently than commercial and advertising libraries. Um, the major operate differently from each other independently, right? Like the Sony will operate differently from the APMs and Universal. So it, it really depends on the library and it depends on you as an individual. Um, so you have to really like be yourself, but put that work in, do the research and then be yourself and start to meet people and start to introduce yourself and start to be, you know, present and engaged in the community um that's always going to be your best bet but it is certainly it, the way you approach libraries is different across the board um so you know it, it takes it takes some legwork and again i'm not again not trying to be salesy but the pma this is where we come in this is where we help uh this is exactly what we do to to help you guys kind of get an understanding as to you know, if you do want to approach like a video helper, for example, what's the best way? You know, you should know that video helper has composers on salary. You know what I mean? Like these things that you may not know uh, on how the libraries operate. Um, we're here to shed insight on that. So, um, but generically speaking, do your research, find out their new releases, go through their catalogs, uh, find if you do a certain specific type of music and they have a ton of it. Uh, the chances of you getting accepted into that are, are slim to, you know, very slim. Um, so how can you take that one step further? How can you make pop something that doesn't exist in their library? You know, things get creative. You've got to get more creative um, in your genre and your creation. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I completely agree. I always tell people, too, like if you if you have a genre that isn't um that they don't have a lot of like that could be a dope opportunity for you to get in and create some albums for them uh and just really stand out and kind of you know be in your in your own lane and they they'll know exactly who to hit up for this specific yeah. style of music because they don't have millions of of that kind of music already so that's also super dope. i will also say that co-write Look for co-writing opportunities, look for composers like Clint, who are already working in the space that maybe, you know, yeah. you could do a track with. And and that's that's a way that a lot of people get into libraries and then you establish that reputation on your own um, and you're able to go to them and say, hey, I did this song with so-and-so that's on this album of yours. They already have it in their catalog. That makes the conversation a lot easier. Easy. So co-writes, co-writes are a great way. Um, and then looking at the catalogs that are, are published or, or distributed or sub-published under some of these majors or other libraries and trying to go direct to that source instead of going direct to Universal. So going like, for example, um, the License Lab is a, a really great library that uh, just got signed a distribution deal with Elias and Elias mm. is under Universal. So instead of going to Universal directly, maybe go to the license lab that then you know so just trying to find the, the catalogs that are represented by 
um, the the majors or or bigger publishers. Um, that's a way in as well. There they generally get less submissions because they're you know they're they're not yeah. the universal. <laughs> that's that's how I got in with BMG. Actually, it was um, I had started with a smaller library and um they had they were they were established they've been in the game for a while but they were still they still managed to stay small but then bmg came in and like literally bought them out and then now that they the the music coordinator for that company ended up getting a position with bmg so now she's a coordinator over there so now she pulls me in on different projects um yeah. so yeah it can it can happen like that you just start with the smaller ones um that are under the big ones or sometimes they get bought out by the big ones um so yeah uh, super dope opportunity uh black keys wants to know how much uh, is the membership fee composers are 99 dollars a year yeah 99 dollars and do plan oh i'm oh, sorry no no i was i was just gonna say um uh, if you're you know if you write off like your business expenses as a producer yeah. too like it's a membership free uh fee for your business so you can it's deductible uh, so it's completely it's 100 tax deductible we're a nonprofit, so 100 tax deductible and if you do come to like our conference for example usually there are um it's usually like a 70 dollar difference in members members pricing for tickets versus non-member pricing for tickets so if you do a 99 membership and you plan on coming to the conference you save that 70 dollars. so essentially your membership is like 29 bucks nice yeah that's uh that's super dope uh let me see so we'll take uh we'll take one more and then i won't hold you i know you got stuff to do oh it's fine I, i'm on vacation oh that's right well we don't want to keep you on live <laughs> for the whole vacation uh let's see is it, is it acceptable to include tracks of multiple genres in a single electric music electronic music album for example future bass trap house moon bath i don't know what that is etc in a single album while pitching for the first time so he just hit you with like five different genres in one album what do you think about that so there's nothing wrong with it yeah I, it's acceptable sure um i electronic music is is interesting because it definitely covers like future bass trap house yeah i mean that that all essentially i would consider under electronic so it, yes it's it's kind of subgenre e but it's still singular genre e at the same time yeah. um so yeah i would say that's fine um something to note in in pitching like full albums i don't know how many tracks we're talking about but I, I mean, if you are brand new and pitching, you probably have like your first three tracks need to be your best. Your first one needs to be your best. The best track you ever did in your entire life needs to be number one. Um, that second one needs to be right up there with quality and that third one needs to be right up there as well. Anything underneath that, the chances of people getting to, to those are slim. Um, you know, music directors and soups don't necessarily go that far down um, if they know Again, if they like the first song, they, they will generally listen to the second. They may give it two shots, two songs, and then close it out. Um, so you're talking about maybe 15 to 30 seconds of your songs um, that they're listening to if you're pitching. So make sure that there's not, you know, I was listening to someone's tracks 
this last week where he had like 15 seconds of um not like not like dead sound but 15 seconds of kind of like build sound that was very slow and very quiet and you lose the attention just like that so you have to like get to the point um so as long as you're getting to the point early in your 30 seconds like your top 30 seconds of your song um generally you you put yourself in a good position but yeah i mean i would say it's acceptable for sure all of the subgenres that you mentioned would be fine under an electronic pitch uh, but just be aware that you probably have three songs to showcase your talent in a total of like a minute and a half in in, in total between yeah. three songs to to really get that um yeah to really showcase yeah it's a good question um absolutely <laughs> so uh morgan let the people know like where they can find you where they can get in touch i've been posting the pma website so they know um they know where that is but in case they wanted to get in touch with you with for more information or whatever how can they do that yes so my email is morgan at pmamusic.com so it's m-o-r-g-a-n at pmamusic.com you can put that up too um email me at any point uh my instagram is morgan mcknight i'm there too but if it's business related take it to email i'm much better <laughs> at email uh for business stuff um yeah and i'm i'm always i mean i'm i'm happy to answer any questions i want to there's a couple things in here that i want to answer yeah, go ahead <laughs> the can you chop and manipulate free loops making them unrecognizable yes 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 if you're going to use samples and loops please chop them please make them unrecognizable please do that so i guess i should have been more clear in that conversation um that is to me not using a beat that's still making it your own and being creative so you absolutely can do that and it is highly recommended highly 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 recommended versus just pulling Um, it off the site as is and just using that same loop over and over and over exactly the whole song yeah exactly exactly um where will the new york conference be so we normally uh new york will probably be back in new york in may of 2022 so not this month not this year but generally it's uh you know like a hundred or so person event 150 it's much smaller and we usually have it hosted at the ascap uh offices in new york so that is to be determined still pending COVID 2022. Yeah. Um, and then if an artist submits music that they worked on, producer that so the beats are sample free because he, she assumes they have the right to a royalty free sample are both held accountable. Um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I mean, it depends on what contract you have with the, the producer. If you're working with a producer, it would depend on what that that what liabilities you have under that contract. If there is no contract, you should make one. Yep. Um, it depends. So that answer will be it depends as well. But if you have no contract and there is no, you know, a, a assumption of liability, then j- yes, you are both accountable. Yeah, that was a good one. Um... Yeah, because it's always those. Everything starts with good paperwork, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's making sure the paperwork is straight. Um, I have, I have some really good records just sitting on a computer because uh, paperwork wasn't done originally, and um, people get amnesia and they forget who yeah. who said how much of a percentage they own, and then an agreement can never be reached, um, and it it sucks. So. 
And I don't, I don't know why people have like this thing, especially being in a studio, like nobody wants to talk business. It's just like, oh, I don't want to kill the vibe. I just want to be creative. But it's like, deal with that first. Like now, like before I work with artists, yeah. we sit down, we have a conversation. Like, this is what the contract is. This is how I do work. Um, and then that's it. And that way, if there's any issue, you don't waste time creating a bunch of music. Um, and then it doesn't work anyway. You get it out the way, you talk about it up yeah. front. It's in writing. And then when you get to the point to where it's time to license something, everything is already in writing. Splits are in writing. Um, and it just makes the process that much smoother from there. Yeah, 100%. And I, I can't emphasize that enough, guys. It, especially even in production music, in, in label side, in publishing side, um, any side of the music business, yeah. if you have your paperwork together beforehand, you are going to make your life a lot easier. You don't want to go backwards and have to clear stuff. You, you want to have it set in stone. So anything that you create, if you are co-writing or, or whatever the case may be, put it on paper. Just even even if it's the simplest contract, like there are contract templates that exist through places like the you know the SEL. There are contract templates everywhere. Um, grab one. Yep. Build, get it together. Have the contract together because you, you're just gonna save. You're gonna save yourself time. You're gonna have to like not go back and recreate music that you've already done. Like it's just always gonna put yourself in a position to be licensed and um, be used and you know all any and all of the above so paperwork yes is important i highly recommend it and if you are working with someone who doesn't want to do paperwork don't work find, someone else, to, find <laughs> someone else to work with exactly find someone else to work with that's a red flag man and like anybody who's scared of paperwork like it's to protect both of you it's not a yeah. one-sided thing like yeah i would run super fast if, if somebody doesn't want to sign something that's yeah it's crazy um so yeah, uh, make sure you guys follow Morgan on IG. Did I post your IG? Let me make sure. Let me post that up. It's posted up, and everyone has my email. Again, reach out. I'm. If there are any questions that maybe you didn't want to ask here, or you are in like a personal situation you need advice for, email me. I'm happy to to find answers for you guys. Indeed. Thanks again, Morgan. I appreciate your time. Appreciate the 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 expertise that you shared with us today shout out to pma um love what you guys are doing and glad to be a part of it and um yeah anybody that's watching i definitely highly recommend you guys join pma especially if you're in you know the production music space music licensing um super dope dope resource and super dope group of people um to be thank surrounded you. by so yeah thank absolutely you. Thank you for listening to the Music Is My Business podcast. If you haven't already subscribed, be sure to do so now so you can know every time I drop a new episode. If you found the information helpful, please be sure to rate and review the podcast so we can get this dope info out to more music entrepreneurs like you. I would greatly appreciate it. Also, if you want to learn more about how to get your music placed in TV and film, visit ClintProductions.com today to download my free six-step guide to TV placements. These are the steps I took to land my first 10 TV placements in a little over a year. Thanks again for listening, and I'll catch you on the next one.